Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, Kurt Mortensen here. Something a little bit different. Did you hear the Queen We Will Rock You chant? Why? Because this is podcast 300 of Maximize Your Influence. Thanks for everything. A few changes, a few bonuses, and a huge gift worth $297. Uh, thank you for the, all the listing and the likes out there. So some changes that I've been making is, per your request, adding a few more features like some lame new sound effects. We'll gradually release those. Tool of the Week, we'll be doing some Persuasion IQ questions, and maybe even we've had a few people ask for a listener joke of the week. But let's start off with that freebie. Welcome to episode 300. Let's hear some cheering. So I'm going to ask you a little something, and I'm going to give you a big something. $297 gift, over four hours of training. 297 is what I cost when I released it. It's called Negotiation Power. It's 14 audios on things like detecting deception. How do you know when people are lying to you? To understanding the dirty deeds or the dark tricks or manipulation people might use on you. Not to use them so you can understand them. Some of the new power of persuasion and negotiation tools people have not been talking about. How to deal with mood. How do you deal with their rotten mood, your rotten mood, and get them in the right mood? Because when they're in a bad mood, they recall bad things. How do you deal with those emotions like fear, anger, frustration, resentment? And how to peel the onion back to find out exactly what their issue is. These audios are pulled from InfluenceUniversity.com. And all I ask, just a small little favor, is that on social media, you post or tag in your story or on your feed about Maximize Your Influence, anything that you want to say. In fact, the top three interesting ones will get a free membership to InfluenceUniversity.com. And you can do that on Facebook or Twitter. Those are listed at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Or my handle, as you know, on Facebook is Maximize Your Influence. On Twitter, it's InfluenceMax. And on Instagram, it's MaxInfluence. Do that for me, and I'll get you the Negotiation Power Audio Series. And now it's time for the Geeky Scholarly Article of the Week. The title of this is Focus in Kindergarten May Predict Future Earnings. This is brought to us by Carnegie Mellon, if you live close there, or Carnegie Mellon, if you don't. In the JAMA Psychiatry, JAMA, of course, means Journal of the American Medical Association, they want to find out if a way a child acts in kindergarten may predict how much money they earn as an adult. So they looked at six prevalent childhood behaviors. They looked at almost 3,000 children who were around 5 to 6 years old, and they followed them to around 33, 35 years old. So they wanted to take a look at things like inattention, lacking concentration, being easily distracted. Then there was hyperactivity, fidgety, moving constantly. I probably had an issue with that one. Physical aggression, fighting and bullying and kicking, opposition, disobeying, blaming others, or irritability, anxiety, worrying, crying easily, and prosociality, basically helping someone who's been hurt or showing sympathy. 
And the study found that boys and girls who showed inattentive behavior at age six earned less in their 30s after taking consideration their IQ and family adversity. So obviously not paying attention, staying focused, doing your job would reduce income and probably slow down your promotions. And especially the big one is for boys who were physically aggressive or oppositional, meaning they refused to share materials or blamed others, also had lower annual earnings in their 30s. But then they also found boys who had pro-social behavior, those that shared or helped, had higher earnings. And well, duh, we do a lot of this. I think the interesting point here is it all goes back to five, six years old. It can dictate a lot in our future. And they were actually teaching elementary school teachers to peg these behaviors to start change them early on so it didn't affect lifetime earnings. It goes back to that famous study in the 60s by the Stanford professor Walter Michel. Did the marshmallow study on self-control. Do you remember that one? If you haven't seen it, take a look at YouTube. But basically, they brought these little kids in the room and gave them a marshmallow and said, hey, eat it whenever you want. But you know what? i got to leave for a few minutes. And if you don't eat it when I get back, I'll give you another one. But if you do eat it, I'm not going to give you another one. <laughs> some kids just ate it right away, right when they left the room. Some would sit on their hands and, and exercise self-control. But they did find those that exercise self-control were more successful in life. So five years old, isn't that amazing? Which brings us to the Ninja of the Week. Aww. This is where we do a persuasion into something that was incredibly persuasive. And I'm not going to say if this was completely honest or ethical or good for long-term persuasion, but it happened to me. So if you're listening to the show, you know I was in Cairo a few months ago and decided to go inside the pyramids. And I've always made a commitment not to ride the camels. They smell. It's not a fun ride. It's not something I've ever wanted to do. And they got me on a camel. And I've been scratching my head. How did that work? I didn't want it. Next thing I knew, I was riding a camel. And they had me eating camel earlier, so <laughs> how did this happen? I decided I'm not doing this. I don't want it. Don't care. This is easy. Of course, they all pester you at the pyramids to get on the camels, ride the camels, take a picture of the camels. So I'm like, no, no way. But 20 minutes later, I'm riding this camel. What happened? So let me dissect it there for you to figure out what happened here in this situation because it was just a little bit of time. Remember, Persuasion is a process, and this was not one and done. This was a little process by multiple people. Multiple things happened. So I was hanging out with my local sponsors. They were having fun, checking out the pyramids. And, of course, just like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you have to take that certain picture where you're pretending to hold it up, and everybody at the pyramids has their fingers up pretending like they're holding the whole pyramid. And they were having a hard time getting the angle just right, and, of course, they came over and helped out. And got the picture just right. Oh, no money, no, go ahead. You're just, hey, we love you, <laughs> type of a thing. And then they took me over to this kneeling camel. They just wanted to take a picture right in front of it, just right by the camel, not too close, but of the camel in the background that we know as foot in the door, sequential request, getting your first yes. And then all of a sudden, they removed the locals. They took them off to take their own pictures, and so they were getting their pictures, but... Now, all of a sudden, I'm realizing I'm in a foreign country around unfamiliar people, a new environment for me, not something I'm used to. It's kind of a little intimidating in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by things you're not used to, police officers with large guns you might not be used to, and uh, 
locals yelling in their language, which is something you're not used to. So there's a little intimidation factor, at least just not being familiar with what's going on. Then all of a sudden, they were pulling my hand, getting me up, and I'm sitting on a kneeling camel for just one more picture. And this would be persistence. They were forceful. They didn't take the no. They just had me do it. They were pulling me. And, and part of the reason I did it, too, is they weren't too close to the camel. I'm like, oh, all right. But then all of a sudden, a little gesture, the camel stands up. And before you know it, I'm riding this camel. It's moving. They're taking pictures. I'm like, how did this happen? It was a surprise tactic. It was kind of underhanded. But then deep down, you know they're never going to see me again. They use more aggressive tactics. They got what they want, and they got more money. <laughs> That's how they got me to ride a camel. Not all positive techniques there, but it's interesting to take away. It's the process, and sometimes we don't even realize that we're being persuaded until it's too late. That is our Ninja of the Week. Time for a listener email. This one's from Harold. Not sure where Harold's from, but it's a quick question I want to address today. It says, Kurt, thanks for your books on persuasion and influence in your podcast. Thank you, Harold. You've been doing this a long time. Well, I don't know about a long time, but well over 20 years. I guess it is a long time. And Harold continues and says, Kurt, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in persuasion, influence, sales negotiation, any form of influence what have you seen that's been changing or has changed? And that's the question I want to address for our 300th show, because that's a big thing to understand is what's changed, what's different in the world of persuasion influence. Because if you're still using those old school closing techniques that have a shelf life of about two weeks, they're not going to work anymore. You've got to adjust your persuasion to age groups, to personality, and to organizations. It's different now. Everything is different. The game is different. When you used to go to a car dealership and you had to believe them, now things have changed. You've got options. Let's talk about some of those changes. And I created a top 10 list. I don't know, maybe we need a good drum roll here. And these aren't necessarily by importance. They're just things that change that I kind of brainstorm that'll help you out to adapt your persuasive techniques. Number one, lack of trust. Trust is an all-time low. It's dropped six points in the last five years. As we know, 20 years ago, it was, I trust you, give me a reason not to. Now it's, I don't trust you, give me a reason to trust you. And the hard thing about trust, it might take you weeks, months, years to gain it, but you can lose it instantly. And here's the takeaway I want you to understand with trust. Don't assume they trust you. Even though you're a good, trustworthy person, even though you're trying to take care of them, even though you deserve their trust, they might not trust you. You have to earn it bit by bit, piece by piece. You have to... Gain that credibility in the persuasion process. Because that's the glue. No trust. It doesn't matter what tool or technique I teach you. It's not going to be persuasive. Number two, we'll just say people are numb. According to Advertising Age magazine, we're bombarded with over 5,000 persuasive messages a day. And that causes instant resistance. We're hit everywhere from a billboard to a bus stop. But just think about social media or just going to any Google product, all the ads that are just popping up all over the place, it's probably much higher than that now, but we're bombarded, we become numb, it's hard to break through that clutter, and people are just automatically resist without even really taking the time to understand what the message is. Number three, 
And this is true around the world. Organizations are flatter, meaning there's less hierarchy, fewer bosses or managers or vice presidents, and so there are more people equal in authority. And so we're working with a lot more people that are equal to our authority. And so your ability to influence without authority is paramount. It's key. Now, we can influence down. It's a little easier. I'm the boss. You have to do it. Influencing up, those are certain techniques, but a lot of influencing to the side. Influencing a manager of another department, you might be equal or lower or higher, but we have to influence without authority. It's a little bit different than do it or you're fired, do it or you have to, do it because I'm the boss. We have to really, truly learn how to influence without authority. Use other influence tools and other forms of power, because authority is a power, but there's other forms of power like knowledge or trust or charisma or passion or relationships. We can start to access those forms of power. And then there's number four, just the world. Worldwide companies now, we're doing with companies all over the world. Internet's flattened everything as far as who we're doing business with, and we have to adjust our potatoes. Oh, but it just, we have to trust the gravy to the potato. Same potato, change the gravy, meaning the potato's the same, the persuasion process is the same, but we have to adapt to culture, to country. That's how it is. Even being translated. If you tried Google Translate, that's not going to work very well. You've got to find a translator that's been educated in your country that gets how you talk and your humor and your different forms of speech. I know some countries like Brazil tend to be a little more honest. When I go to Brazil, Kurt, you're fatter than last time. I'm like, yes, I am. But you do that in other countries, like the United States, that's very offensive. Or the Middle East, the way you deal with touch. The way you deal with time in some South American countries, which is different than India, the way you deal with power structure, it's all different. No right or wrong, we're just different. But you need to make sure you adapt your style and your humor and the way you persuade to these different countries. Even within a country, it can be very different. Within the United States, training in Mississippi, it's a lot slower versus New York City's a lot faster. And I can be a little more, let me put it to you this way, rude. At New York, I can say, no, that's a dumb question. I'm not going to answer it. And they like it, but they don't like it in Mississippi and other states or countries. So you have to adapt. Do not think it's going to be exactly the same. Now, Here's a little piece to that. As I do travel the world, I do realize we're more similar than different, but a lot of times we tend to focus on our differences. You want to find the similarities, but you also want to identify those differences so you're not stepping on toes, offending, and hurting the persuasion process. Number five, a lack of power. We've been talking about power. Is As you get younger in the workplace, people are like, so what? You're the boss. I don't care. I don't want to do it. You're like, you've got to do it. I'm the boss. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Wait a minute. The yes sirs are becoming more and more part of our past, or the yes ma'ams. You have the Michigan State Police that has some of the most crime-ridden towns in the United States calling me up asking for influence training. I'm like, you don't need influence training. You have guns. Because the guns don't work anymore. They need other tools, other forms of influence. Because the past of, oh, got a uniform. Yes, sir. Anything you want, sir or ma'am. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I don't want you. I don't think you can shoot me. You might taser me, but you're not going to shoot me. <laughs> Jeez, that didn't work out. You have someone that goes to a doctor and, okay, here's your diagnosis. Here's your prescription. They go home and Google it. And some stranger they've never met with no education says, no, the doctor, they're just trying to do this. They're taking advantage of you. Just get more fresh air. Eat some fresh grass. 
more Brussels sprouts, whatever it is. And they believe the Internet person more than the doctor. That's another big change. Number six is low credibility. This is similar to trust. But credibility is one of the most important things that you need to start the persuasion process. Now, one of the keys here is that if you can teach someone in the first two minutes something new, something unique, something different about you, your product, your service, your idea, that starts to grow the credibility. If you're going into a new team or a speaking engagement or someplace where they don't know your credibility, type it out, have somebody else read it, have them send an email to recommend you. Key factor here, when you have low credibility, you can borrow credibility. Testimonial, endorsement, introduction, recommendation, that is the key factor to success. Get testimonials, borrow credibility. It made all the difference in the world for me. When I was finishing up my first book, first-time author, not a lot of credibility there, and I was watching people at a bookstore, and they were looking at the front of the book, then the back of the book. They wouldn't even open the thing up. They're looking for testimonials. I'm like, ah, I better get some of those. So I shot big. I went after Stephen Covey of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Mark Victor Hansen on Chicken Soup for the Soul, Brian Tracy, who's written 50 books, one of them in Focal Point or Advanced Selling Techniques, Larry King. That made all the difference in the world, borrowing that credibility. That's what you need to do in this situation. Don't assume that your company, your industry, or yourself has that credibility. And remember, some industries might not have as much credibility as you think. Number seven, more subconscious triggers. It seems like these are becoming more and more important. Talked about this just a few podcasts ago, and make sure you go to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Mentioned that 95% of persuasion involves a subconscious trigger. It's a feeling. I like them. I don't like them. I trust them. I don't trust them. We've had good experiences in the past. We've had bad experiences in the past. And the key factor here is to realize we're emotional creatures. We're not, we're not thinking creatures that feel. We're feeling creatures that think. When someone approaches you on the street, within seconds, you decide if you're going to run, you're going to trust them. Those are subconscious triggers. It could be a smell, a color, a gesture. Those are the type of things. I mean, we all know that $9.97 is the same as $10, but the trigger there is when it ends in 7, it's an odd number, and it's a little below 10, it seems cheaper when we don't consciously think about it. We know at a restaurant, if you're evaluating the food and a couple of people across the table are not likable, that hurts the food evaluations. Or if you go to the store and you have a severe headache, and you know the national brand's the same as the generic brand, you're going to probably buy the national brand. Subconscious triggers. Number eight, self-esteem is an all-time low. Self-esteem, how much we like ourselves. Between the social media and advertising, school system, I mean, we're destroyed. And we all suffer low self-esteem in different aspects of our life, from a, being in a swimsuit to doing public speaking, whatever it can be. This is the number one reason people complain against the managers. The top five reasons are all based on self-esteem issues. Here's the bottom line here. Number one, no, it's an issue for everyone. But if you bruise someone's self-esteem, it closes the doors to influence. But if you boost it, it opens the doors to influence. It is an issue, especially when you influence up or to the side. Self-esteem is an issue. Even little things like, you look good in that dress. And you know deep down they're getting a commission, but it still feels good. Do not underestimate the power of self-esteem or the destructive nature of a big ego. Number nine, being on the same team. You're like, Kurt, what does that mean? 
Well, they're trading for these large corporations. It's like every department's their own team. Every division, every location's their own team. You guys are like, no, you guys are on the same company, same team. They treat IT like a, the enemy, like the competition. You're like, no, same team. Sales is mad in accounting, and accounting doesn't want to talk to marketing. Who doesn't want to talk to do engineering? Same team. But you really have to realize, too, that even though they're the weird department, or maybe you're the weird department, everybody needs to persuade how the other team wants to be persuaded. You have to adapt to them. They are different. They think differently. I mean, training a sales team is very different than an IT team. There's just differences there. Again, no right or wrong, but you have to adapt and let everyone realize that we're on the same team. Find that common goal. Realize that we're not a competition here. We're on the same team, same company, same goals. Work towards that and adapt your persuasion styles when you talk to the different departments. Number 10, division. Not in math, but as a world, as a country, we're more and more divided. And that polarizes people. One out of six people's lost a good friend due to politics? That's crazy. Really? We can't talk about our differences in politics or beliefs? We have to just hate people because they believe differently? And the answer is that's what people are doing. See, a while back in the future, there were only three or four news stations and they shot down the middle. Now you watch the news station that says what you want to hear, whether it's the truth or not. So as an influential leader, influential person, you have to learn to adapt to different beliefs. And you can't say you have monopoly on all beliefs because people believe differently. No one group of people is always going to have the same beliefs. We have to learn to adapt, to put ourselves in their shoes, to understand the other side. You don't have to agree, but you at least get in their shoes and see why they feel that way. Because when people feel that division and know that you don't accept them for who they are, that it's not okay to have a different belief than you do, then that's going to shut the doors to influence long term. That's a key factor, and that is a big change in the world of persuasion and influence. Thanks for joining me this week out of episode 300. Really appreciate it. Of course, we're on Spotify and iTunes. Remember the bonus, the $297 bonus of negotiation power, the dirty deeds, detecting deception, the power tools, dealing with moods, emotions, and all the things you need to persuade, influence, and negotiate. Over four hours of trading, $297 in value, your gift from me. All you have to do is post on your social media and tag it, Maximize Your Influence. And we'll track you down or just send me a note via social media. It could be anything you want to say, and we'll get you your bonus. It's that easy. Small favor for me and a big bonus for you. And the top three unique posts will get free membership to InfluenceUniversity.com. That's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Remember, Facebook is Maximize Your Influence. Twitter is Influence Max, and Instagram is Max influence talked about some important things today about the changes in the world of influence make those adjustments a little shift a little change and you'll be able to persuade with power